Now, I also want to welcome you today as you're here for the kickoff of a new series that we are calling All the Feels. Everybody say, All the Feels. And this is a series about how we, you and me, deal with our emotions and our feelings. And what we're going to do is each week we are going to take a look at the Psalms. Because if you're talking about emotion, there's no better place to go in the Bible than the Psalms. When you're talking about the emotional life of a human person, the Psalms have a lot to say. Now, for those of you that have been around a little bit, do you remember last year we went through a series that we called Creed? And we talked about the noble doctrines of the Christian faith. I want to say to you that this series is almost at the opposite end of the spectrum because the Psalms are not so much about lofty and high doctrines as they are about how the human heart works. In fact, what I'd like to challenge you to do, if you've not picked up a Bible reading plan for the year, you know, we've encouraged you at the beginning of the year to do that and begin journaling, begin time in prayer. Of course, we have early morning prayer Tuesdays and Thursdays to get you in the habit of your quiet time right here in our lounge. But I, I say that to say, if you've not picked up the Bible reading plan, we have these on the patio or at the counter, and you can pick them up for free. They are the Psalms. I would just encourage you, if you don't have another plan, for the next five weeks as we go through this series, just start going through the Psalms. Just start with Psalms 1 and reading through them every day. Do a psalm a day, and uh, you'll find that you're really connected to what we're talking about. When you get into the Psalms, you're getting into the deep parts, the deep recesses or the motives and emotions of the human heart. What you actually have in the Psalms, what you learn in the Psalms is a way to deal with your feelings. And the big thing that I want to teach you today is that the Psalms reveals a third way to deal with feelings, or what I'd like to call a gospel way. Now, some of you are saying, well, why do you call it a third way? Well, because when you look at the world and you look at the main ways that we have to deal with our feelings in front of us, the world will give you very different advice. On the one hand, for example, the world will tell you you have one approach to feelings. It's what I'd call the religious approach. And the religious approach to feelings is when you just try and stuff them down. Do you know what I'm talking about? You can just write that down. That's a religious approach or a religious way. It's when you stuff them. You don't want people to know how you really feel because they might think you're not all that spiritual. You stuff them down. You're skeptical of feelings. You're uncomfortable with negative feelings. You're not wanting people to really see the darkness in there. The profundity, the intensity, the rawness, that white heat that sometimes comes up in your heart. Now let me explain what I mean by religion. If you're religious, what I mean is, you believe that you must warrant God's attention. You believe that God judges you based on your religious performance, how well you're doing, and God will support you on the basis of your virtue. Now, if that's you, then you're not going to want to admit what's going on in your heart. You're going to be on top of the mountain all the time. I'll walk up to you. I'll say, how you're doing? You're going to go, oh, Pastor Shane, I got the victory. Praise Jesus. I feel so good. I'm so on top. Oh, yes, I got, yeah, things are going on, but I've got victory. Amen. How you doing? Oh, can't complain. Even if I did, nobody would listen. <laughs> God is good. 
I mean, you're always on top of it, right? You, you, you know, I, I come, you're angry, and I say, hey, you seem angry. No, I'm not. I'm not angry. <laughs> not at all. See, the religious approach to feelings is, in a sense, to deny them. It's when you want to stuff them or not look at them. On the other hand, let me give you another approach to feelings. There's how culture approaches feeling, not religious culture, but secular culture approaches feelings, and it's almost the exact opposite. Instead of stuffing our feelings, the secular approach is to hold to the sovereignty of your feelings, and you don't want to stuff them. You want to embrace them. Write that down. See, the secular approach has a premise, and I think it's completely indefensible. Frankly, I think the secular approach is totally unbelievable that there are people in our culture today that says, your feelings are the real you. Embrace your feelings, follow your heart, and so what happens is you get these feelings and you go, oh gosh, there it is. That's who I am. That's what I'm to do. I've just got to follow my heart. And we've got, by the way, parents raising their kids, indoctrinating them because all they want is for my kids to be happy. It's okay no matter what you do, honey, as long as you're happy. Let your feelings lead you. And so you get feelings and you say, well, that's the real me. Listen, it's not your beliefs. It's not your choices. It's not your practices. According to the world, it's your feelings that matter. Why? Because, because in the secular world, to get in touch with your feelings is almost a good, it's an expression of good in itself. Now, I want to say to you today, the Bible does neither of those things. The Bible doesn't religiously want you to stuff your feelings, but it also doesn't want you to embrace them as a sovereign thing. The Psalms, in fact, offers you a unique, I said, what kind of way? Third way, gospel way, to address your feelings. They don't deny them and they don't vent them. But when you read the Psalms, I want you to get this, no matter where you are. By the way, before I tell you, can I just say, if you start reading the Psalms, you're going to be shocked by them. I mean, people who read the Psalms are like, I can't believe that's in the Bible. I mean, I don't know if you've ever noticed the, the anger and the hostility and the fear and the rawness that's in the Bible. I mean, the white heat of genuine anger and emotions. I'm just going to say, some of the, pe the people that wrote the Psalms were a little disturbed. Because I'm telling you, if you start reading in this book and you read it honestly, you're going to go, how can that be in the Bible? Now, the answer is, the reason why that is, and the answer to that is this. The psalmist is not discussing feelings. And the psalmist is not just expressing feelings. No, the psalmists are praying their feelings. They're worshiping God with the authenticity of what they feel. And here's what I'd say the gospel way is. Let me give it to you. Remember this over the next five weeks. Here's the way to deal with your feelings according to the gospel. It is you process your feelings, but you do it in the presence of God. Write that down. I am to process my feelings, but I'm to do it knowing that I'm in the presence of God and I go to him. Now, that's neither the religious nor the secular way. It's what I'm going to call the gospel way. 
I don't want you to be underaware of your feelings, and I don't want you to be overawed by your feelings. Either way is a disaster. So for each week, let's just take a look. And guys, listen, over the next four or five weeks, we're going to look at doubt. We're going to look at fear. We're going to look at anger. We're going to look at insecurity. We're going to look at, look at struggles, and we're going to handle each of them according to the Psalms. And so you might say this is an exposition of several of the Psalms. So let's talk about it. Praying my tears. Today I want to talk to you about your pains, your hurts. If you go through the Psalms or you read the Psalms, Linda just read just a few moments ago, you see it's all about weeping. It's all about suffering. It's all about grief. Friends, listen to me. What do you do with your tears? Now, there are three things that the Psalms tells us. In fact, if you were to take the Psalms, the Psalms is broken up into how many? How many Psalms are there? Anybody know? 150 Psalms. And if you were to break those Psalms up into categories, one of the categories would be called lamentations. Who knows what lamentations means? What does it mean? It means weeping. It means crying. It means grieving and pouring your heart out to God. And there are all sorts of psalms, but lamentations is the biggest category. Tears. What does the Bible say about my tears? What do we learn? Three things. Write these down. Number one, the Bible, the psalms, specifically teaches that you and I should expect tears. Write that down. We should expect tears. They're normal. They're actually natural. They're a part of God's plan. In fact, just notice this. Verse 1 of, of uh, Psalm 126, it says, When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who, what? Dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Now, what is that? I'm just going to say to you, when you read this psalm, we're not exactly sure why this is. Scholars debate this. Some people say it's because the people had just returned from exile after 70 years in Babylon. We're not really sure. Nobody can say for sure. The point is this. You read that, and God did something so big for them, so huge, and all the other nations saw it, it was beyond anything they ever could have imagined. They said, we were like men who dreamed. It was the fulfillment of a dream more than they had ever dared to ask or imagined. God had given them something or done something terrific. But we don't know what it is. But notice, something happened. Then suddenly in verse 4, he says, we were like men who dreamed. But then in verse 4 it says, but restore our fortunes, O Lord. Now, by the way, that's interesting. Because if you study this carefully, you're going to see that the first three verses are written in the present tense, and so were the last three verses written in the present tense, and so it's like, well, how is that? How is he doing both at the same time? And the answer is this. What's happening here is they are remembering the blessings of God, the, the great things that God had done, and they're remembering them so vividly that they're describing them as if they were present, but they're not. In fact, they have undergone some sort of pain that now they're saying, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. The Negev was a barren, terrible desert, a lifeless desert. Now again, I'm just going to say to you, as you're listening to me, guys, listen, we don't know what happened. It could have been a plague. 
They could have been crushed by military defeat. We don't know. The point is their lives are like a desert. And what do we learn from this? The first thing we learn is that we can expect what? Tears. Even if God is in your life. You say, wait a minute, Pastor Shane. You're telling me that if I've come to know Jesus and I'm following God, I will still go through trouble? Heck yeah. Even if you're walking with God, you should expect tears. In fact, I just want to say it to you this way, guys. There is this cute Christian myth out there that says, if you're a good little boy or girl and you're a good little Christian, God is not going to let anything bad happen to you. Have you heard that myth? There are people in America that believe that about Christianity. Now, if you look carefully in this scripture, we don't know what happened. It's terrible, though. Their lives are like a desert. But I want for you to notice something here. What you won't read in this psalm is there's no word of repentance, is there? There's no, oh Lord, we've sinned. There's no, oh Lord, return. We've strayed from your ways. But now, oh Lord, we commit ourselves to you again. No, 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 there's no repentance here. They're not saying we're in trouble because we've sinned or our lives are out of whack. No, their lives are in a desert even though they haven't done anything wrong. What does that mean? Let's say it again. Come on. In fact, you can expect tears because everyone in the world has them. Now, I just want to press this on you just a little bit. Because I think this indicates, see, most Christians, or many Christians, I should say, often think, if something has gone wrong in my life, it's because I must be doing something wrong. If God's allowing this to happen to me, it's because I'm not doing my devotions well enough. If God's allowing this to happen to me, it's because I haven't paid my tithes faithfully enough. Why would God allow this to happen to me? And immediately you think there must be something wrong with you. Or you say there must be something wrong with God. And I just want to say to you, no, the opposite is truth. You should expect tears. And if anything, becoming a person of faith may actually lead you to more tears. Somebody says, well, I came to Jesus so that God would just bless my life. There's a little doctrine out there in America called the prosperity doctrine. God is just supposed to bless me and make me happy and give me everything that I want and need. And I'm going to say to you, becoming a Christian may cause you more trouble than you had before. In fact, the Bible uses this great little metaphor that talks about becoming a Christian. And by the way, there's lots of metaphors in the Bible about conversion or becoming a Christian. But this is one of my favorite ones. You find it in Ezekiel 11 and Ezekiel 36. Paul uses it in 2 Corinthians. But I'll just look at this one with you. This is about when you come to Jesus. God says, here's what he's going to do. Let's read it together. I will remove the heart of from there and I will give them a heart of. Interesting. What does that mean? That's interesting. Well, it probably means a lot of things, but I'm going to tell you it means at least when the gospel changes your heart, God comes into your heart and your heart becomes more of a heart. In other words, when God comes into your heart, it gets softer. It gets more vulnerable. It gets more touchable. In other words, you may feel the evil 
and the pain like you've never felt it before. You may feel the pain of people who are victims of evil. You may feel a grief over evil in the world. You may feel a grief over your own personal sin like you've never felt. I'm telling you, coming to Jesus is gonna cause you some pain because you're gonna feel things that you didn't feel before. See, before you knew Jesus, you had all these self-defense mechanisms. You know, you found ways of disdaining people. You look down on people. You saw somebody whose life is screwed up, and you go, oh, well, their life is just screwed up, stupid people. Or you see people who are struggling, and you're like, well, that's not my problem. You know, that's your problem. I don't give you nothing. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit enters your heart. You develop a compassion, and your heart becomes more of a heart. And all of a sudden, you start to feel pains like you've never felt before. Or at least that's what should happen. By the way, that's one of the signs of the fruit of the Spirit. If anything, if I could just say this to you, friend, if you are growing in grace, you should expect to cry more, not less. Think about Jesus. Jesus, your Savior, was a crybaby. He cried all the time. Listen to me. The perfect human being came into the world and he was always crying. The Bible says in Isaiah that he was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. When the average Christian says, well, I want to be like Christ, and I believe as long as I'm good, as long as I'm walking with him, I shouldn't have to go through any bad feelings or anything bad. I want to look at him and say, do you think Jesus walked with God? Because he cried all the time. Do you think Jesus lived right? Because Jesus suffered. So that's the first thing to expect. And, and I say to you, some of you are sitting there going, yeah, Shane, that seems pretty obvious. But I'm, I'm just going to tell you this. If you don't expect tears, then you're always going to be crying about two things instead of just one thing. You know what I mean? First, you'll be crying about that thing that grieves you. But then you're also going to be crying that you're crying. God doesn't want you to cry over two things. One thing is enough. And if you're constantly crying over two things, God, why is this happening to me? God, why should I have to go through this? Why shouldn't you? What makes you think you shouldn't experience pain? Believe me when I tell you in Ukraine right now, there are lots of faithful believers that are in love with Jesus that are suffering. God doesn't want you to weep that you're weeping. God wants you to go to him. And if you start weeping that you're weeping, I'm just gonna tell you, you're gonna sink under that. I meet so many people that are so full of self-pity and it shrinks them as a person and as a soul. So first thing you, do, you should do, you should expect tears. Second thing, this is what the Psalms teaches us. You ready? Write this down. You should learn to invest your tears Invest your tears. Now, here's a metaphor. It's really interesting because the psalmist says in verse five and six, notice this, he says, those who sow in tears will reap with what? Songs of joy. Let me say it again. Those who sow in tears will reap with what? Come on. He who goes out what? He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to what? will return with songs of joy, 
carrying sheaves with him. Now, at first, you read this scripture, and you guys are saying to me right now, especially if you're a farmer, you're going, well, that's not unusual. First of all, farmers, they go out and they sow seed. That's what farmers do. And you know, if you're a farmer, you've ever planted anything, you know that things don't come right away. After a while, you plant something, it'll come back. And so after a while, it says, the farmer's filled with joy. They've gone out, the sheaves are coming up, they harvest the sheaves, they come back filled with joy. No big deal. But this scripture is saying something a little different. You know why? It's true that all farmers go out, and it's true that they all sow, and it's true that they come back and they, and they reap. But do all farmers go out weeping? No. Not all farmers. But this scripture is saying the one who goes out doing what? Weeping. But carrying their weeping as seed to will return with songs of joy. Now, do you know what that is, friend? What's going on here? It's a little ambiguous, but this is the job of poetry. See, these are the songs of Jesus, the Psalms. It's here to evoke, but here's what it's telling us. In your pain, if you follow God through it, if you go out weeping, but you carry what you weep about, and you sow your tears, and you keep following God faithfully, don't avoid your tears. Don't stuff your tears, and don't just express them, but plant them. Let God use your hurt, maybe to comfort somebody else. Let God use your hurt to build you into the person that you're made to be. See, here's the problem. Religious people tend to stuff their feelings. So many Christians, every Sunday morning, how you doing? Oh, I'm so good. So blessed. So blessed. Mm, praise God. God, you know. <laughs> Secular people, they just want to express their feelings, you know. Well, I feel it, so let's just go with it. You know, I'm saying to you, neither of those are in the vision here. But if you take your seed and you don't just sit on it, let me ask you a question. You've got two hands full of seed here. You take that seed and instead of sowing it, you just take it and you sit on it. Is that going to do you any good? Will you get a return from that seed? No, all you got is stinky seed. That's it. On the other hand, if you take those two bags of seed and you don't sow them, but you just take them and you just dump them, is that really going to do you any good? No. But if you sow your tears, if you see your tears as an opportunity for fruitfulness, and for growth, what's the reward? Oh, songs of joy. Carrying sheaves with you. It's joy, God says. By the way, this is a mind-boggling thing because look what it says. Let's look at it again. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy. Guys, this is a gospel promise that you will have a return that's a gospel promise. You'll get a return if you do it the gospel way. Processing your feelings in the presence of God. Guys, you understand? This is the whole reason why Paul the Apostle could say, notice if you'd go to that scripture for me in 2 Corinthians, look at what it says. No, in 2 Corinthians, just jump to that for me. Yes, 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 get there, get there. Okay, well, don't get there. That's fine. Paul says this. 
Paul says, there it is. Let's read it together. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. What does that mean, achieving? It means producing. You might just circle achieving because what it actually means is is that that suffering is going to produce something. In other words, you just don't wait for your pain to go away. Some of you, your prayer is always this. You go through a painful experience and what do you pray? You pray, God, take this from me. God, when will I get through this? God, help me. But what you don't get is that God may want you to go through it because it's producing something you need. It's developing something in you. Let me ask you, anybody here ever go to the gym? Who will admit they have stepped foot in a gym? Come on, show me, show me, show me, show me. Yeah, some of you. What does it take to build muscle? Resistance. Will you build any muscle without resistance? Does it do you any good? And I know some of you have done this. You have walked into GB3. You have paid your membership. You have walked in. You've said, oh, it is so good to be here. I'm going back to bed. (laughs) Does that do you any good? If you're going to build any muscle, you have to put your muscle under resistance, don't you? Some of you, you're praying, God, take this away. God, take this away. God's saying, I'm not going to take this away. You need to bulk up. You need to beef up. You need to get a little stronger. You need to get a little bigger. I have an eternity for you to live. What is this life? It's boot camp. It's preparation. You're in the gym right now, and you're preparing for something. But you got to sow it. It's producing an eternal weight of glory. What is it doing? What does this say? It's glorifying you. It's changing you. Or if I could just put it another way, the kind of joy you really need is the kind of joy that is the product of tears. You're not just waiting for the tears. See, there is a joy that comes from the tears going away, but that's not the kind of joy it's talking about. The kind of joy it's talking about can only be produced through tears. I must go through this. I need to go through this. Not God take it away, but God see me through. Now that will change you. Here's the question. How do you do that? How do you sow your tears and plant your tears so that you don't just stuff them or dump them? Well, this third point is the big point. And then I'm going to tell you how to do it. And we'll close with a couple thoughts, okay? Write this down. Here's what you and I need to do. And I want you to commit to doing this over the next several weeks. You should begin to pray your tears. I would encourage you, every person watching online, every person in Fresno, every person listening in Kerman right now, that you begin the habit of taking your cares to God daily. Come before God with your feelings and pray. Process them, spend time, get into God's presence. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You start doing that, that will transform your tears and it will transform the weeper. And as you pray, I would say you're taking to God three things. First of all, you're going to God with a realization of his grace. Write that down. Why can you go to God? Because of his grace. 
And by the way, you should always have a realization of his grace. This is the first thing that has to happen. Almost before you start crying, you have to realize God in his grace understands why you're weeping. Listen to me. It is safe to pour out your heart to God. God is not afraid of the way that you feel. He already knows how you feel. He's just waiting for you to get honest about it. You take your concerns, you take your cares, and you say, God, here it is, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I bring it to you. I'm honest with you. Notice Psalm 39. I want for you to notice something about this. This is unbelievable. It's mind-boggling. He says, hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Be not deaf to my what? For I dwell with you as an alien, a stranger. Clearly, he feels far from God. I'm an alien to you. I'm a stranger to you, as all my fathers were. And then he says, look away from me that I might rejoice again before I depart and am no more. Now, let me just paraphrase this this for you. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God, just leave me so I could die. God, I'm suffering. Now, that's honesty. God, just leave me so I could die. By the way, you read all of the other Psalms. And have you ever noticed, you read the Psalms and they go through these deep feelings, this anger, this hurt, this emotion, but then they always seem to end on a high note. You ever notice that? For example, here's one right here. It's in uh, Psalm 16. You know, he, uh, uh, David is praying and he's sharing these deep feelings with God, but then he ends and he says, oh, but therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. You know, you will not abandon me to the grave. You're not gonna let me see decay. And notice this next, he says, you have made known to me the path of life. You're gonna fill me with joy in your presence. There are eternal pleasures at your right hand. I mean, this is total victory. He shared all these deep feelings, but then he's ending on a high note. I mean, I like the way King Jimmy puts this. King Jimmy says, in thy presence, O God, is there fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And so there's this idea, but you see this all over. I'll go to another one. Go to Psalm 17. Look at what it says. He goes through all these deep feelings and all this deep emotion, but he ends with, and I in righteousness will see your face. When I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. But here in Psalm 39, you say, Pastor, why'd you choose Psalm 39? Because when you read Psalm 39, there's no victory. (laughs) There's no pleasantness. There's no turning and saying, but God, you're in control. Read all of Psalm 39 and all the way through, it's messy. He's wrestling, he's weeping, hear my prayer, look away from me, depart from me so that I could have a little bit of peace before I die. That's how he ends his prayer. That's a prayer of David. Do you know why it's in there? I think it's in there to tell you that God is safe. I think it's in there. You know, I used to read this scripture. They used to bother me for years because I'd read this one and I'd go, wait a minute, Lord, this is theologically incorrect. They're supposed to claim victory. They're supposed to now turn to you and be at peace. In fact, I used to struggle with it because I thought the Bible, it's supposed to be without error, but this is an error. Until I realized God has it in there to show you and to show me that you can come before him with any feeling. And it doesn't have to be well manicured. (laughs) You don't have to dress it up. You could just be honest and say, look, Lord, this is where I'm really at. God says it's safe. It's in grace that you come to me. Don't stuff them. 
Don't embrace them, but process them in the presence of God. Now, you know why this is so important and I stress it? Because if you don't believe that you can come to God in grace, you won't come to him. If you think God is measuring you, and if you think God is judging you, and if you think God is quantifying everything that you do, you're not going to want to come to him. You'll be afraid of him. No, always come with a realization of his grace. Second thing, when you pray, your tears. Write this down. I plant my tears always with a realization of his grace, but also with a vision of the cross. Write that down. Always in a vision of the cross. Now, in some ways, I want to say this is the most important thing. Because why is God so understanding? Why do we have a God who understands the cry of dereliction? By the way, we have the only God, we have the only Bible that claims that God became a human being and suffered to be able to identify with suffering. It's the only book. Our God himself came into the world, became a man of sorrows, became acquainted with grief. In the Garden of Gethsemane, my Israel friends that was there with me a week ago, we were in Gethsemane. And it was in the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross, look at this scripture, that God turned to the Lord and he's praying in the garden. Go ahead and put that up here for everybody to see. It was about three o'clock. No, that's on the cross, the one before that. He lies and he says, my soul is very sorrowful. Even to what? Death. What's he saying there? What was he saying when he said that? He's saying, my sorrows are so great, they're going to kill me even before I go to the cross. Here's what I want to say to you guys. You have to have a vision of the cross because God knows what it feels like to feel as though heaven is barred. How many of you have ever felt that? You've prayed and you've wondered, God, where are you? And you feel like you're praying and it's bouncing right back to you. Anybody ever feel that? Or am I the only unspiritual person here? (laughs) Apparently, Jesus knows what that feels like. And then as he hung on the cross, he cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lame sabachthani, which means, my God, why have you abandoned me? In other words, Jesus got the abandonment that we deserved. Do you know what I want to say to you right now because I'm such a nerd? I want to say in a sense that it's in this that we see the deep magic of God. Can I call it magic? C.S. Lewis, who was a fictional writer, he talked about the deep magic. He talked about these medieval alchemists who were looking for a magical way to turn lead into gold. Right? Wouldn't that be cool? But what Jesus is saying is, don't you understand, this is the magic will turn your tears into gold. If you just recognize I've gone through this, and I get it. If you look at Jesus on the cross, saying, why me, God? Why have you forsaken me? See, you still may cry, why me? But you'll never cry it the same, because you'll know he was there with you. Jesus did that always with a vision of the cross. Not, God, am I being punished? But Jesus, you were punished so that I can come to you now. 
Finally, number three, if you just write this down, always with a vision of the cross, always in grace, and always with an assurance of glory. Always in an assurance of the glory that's to come. See, some of you, you're weeping and you're, and you're crying and you're going through the time of your life. I, I've watched some of you in the last service too. Some people were crying during the service and, and you say, I don't see why God is doing this. And I'm telling you, listen to me, I don't mean to be disrespectful of your hurt, but your tears are impatient. You may not see that now. Can I just say to you, when Jesus hung on the cross, how many people do you think watched him crucified and said, what good can come from this? I bet you there were people around saying, this is senseless. His closest followers abandoned him. They didn't see any sense of it. I hear about people all the time that they say, I've walked away from the faith because of a hurt or a pain. You know what I'd encourage you to do? Go back and look at the cross because those people felt the same way. What good can come from this thing? And yet if you realize that what Jesus did on the cross was actually the greatest act of love in the history of the world, do you realize nothing's ever been the same because of it? Always with an assurance that God is going to make something good come from the bad if you just trust him. You can't figure out what God's doing in your life, then you just go to him and you tell him that. God, I don't get it. God, I'm struggling. God, I'm angry at you. I promise you, if you pray that prayer today, God, I'm angry at you and you're honest, you will not get struck with a lightning bolt. I promise. There, there will be no Fresno Bee articles that says, North Pointer, excessive lightning bolts have fallen out of the sky. It's not going to happen. God will understand and God will say, well, thanks for finally getting honest. <laughs> and then he can turn your tears into gold. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Help us to be people that process our pain rightly, the right way. Help us to be people that seek you earnestly even though we go through trouble and trial. Your word says consider it all joy when we go through that because we know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that we would be mature and complete lacking nothing. God we give you our pain we give you our lives if you're here your head's bowed and your eyes are closed and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I just want to lead us all in a prayer. I'd like to invite you to invite him into your life. Again, I'm inviting you to invite him to come into your life and live within you, fill you with his spirit and change you. Just pray this prayer with me in your heart. Jesus, I give you my life. I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Meet me where I am and start changing me. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. I give myself to you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.